Why I Don't Do Christmas. I played the Christmas game when my children were little. I was not reckless with the sense of wonder that collects around Santa Claus and the baby Jesus and, alas, morphs the two together. I bought presents. Some years I even decorated a tree. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy giving gifts. I think ritual is essential to human flourishing and to family life, and we need more of it. I have a deep reverence for the incarnational heart of Christianity. I even still recognize faint glimmers of these impulses in the trappings of 21st century Christmas. But I think this season has become a distortion of them, a distortion of us as a culture, as humans, as families, and I, for one, am done. I don't like obligatory gift-giving. And this has become linked to a commercial orgy that has now even co-opted the ritual angle. We have Good Friday and Maundy Thursday for Easter. Now we have Black Friday and Cyber Monday for Christmas. Like all mantras of ritual, these things work on us from the inside. They are economic events by which we measure a certain kind of cultural health. But this is not health at all. When I was growing up, even in a financially comfortable family, we waited all year for the new bicycle, the new Barbie. Christmas was a reward for a kind of patience. It was even supposed to be a reward for goodness. We who are fortunate to have money to spend on Christmas presents now inhabit a world where the new bicycle or the new video game are purchased on demand throughout the year. Then there is the religious distortion of Christmas. In so many of the churches I've attended as an adult, Christmas is dressed up as a children's holiday, a play, not really for grown-ups, not really about us. Make no mistake, I have teared up at that reenactment of the manger scene many times myself, especially when my own children had adorable roles. But it does not begin to do justice to the message of God become human. Joy to the Here's what I do take seriously. There is something audacious and mysterious and reality-affirming in the assertion that stayed alive for 2,000 years that God took on eyes and ears and hands and feet, hunger and tears and laughter and the flu, joy and pain and gratitude, and our terrible, redemptive human need for each other. It's not provable, but it's profoundly humanizing, concretely and spiritually exacting. And it's no less rational, no more crazy than economic, political and media myths to which we daily deliver over our fates. So here's what I'm thinking about this Christmas. I'm not going to buy any presents for my family this year. Instead, we will go shopping as a family for homeless teenagers. And I will try to be honest about the equivalent I would spend on my own children on the commercial holy days if I believed in them. I report this in some hope of feeding a little rebellion I sense many of us are quietly tending. But I also make it public to be sure I follow through. As I said, we need each other. And that impulse, surely, is deep in the original heart, even of the most secular things, like Santa Claus and surrounding your home with lights. Examining what we are to each other 
and experiencing that sometimes when we do this, something transcendent happens. You can see that we've put lights up, and of course this is the season of light. And so I'd just like to share with you something that I've written, a little reflection upon all of this, that I hope blesses you. But again, as we mentioned before with Krista's thing, is more of a provocation, pushing us to reconsider once again this story. Something that can become extremely familiar to us, but is in many ways extremely unfamiliar. So that's what I'd like to share with you. It is the most wonderful time of the year, as we say, and as we sing. It is filled with the joys of tradition, celebration, family, gift-giving, and ritual. But as was shared by Krista Tippett, it is also a time that has become hijacked as meaning and religious holiness are overshadowed by consumerism and commercialism. We not only buy presents for each other, but we also buy them for our pets. And every year, the opening of new films and entertainment that are released during this season bring further distractions. And this year is exceptional in force. I thought that was actually very clever. A long time ago in a Galilee far, far away. But again, as I mentioned to you, we played that Krista Tippett snippet for you, not as an endorsement of every sentiment, but as a provocation to cause us to think and to consider once again the variety of ways in which we can enter into the season with fresh eyes. I suppose in many ways, commentary like that, in addition to sermons and devotionals we hear during this time, that's exactly what they're supposed to do, provoke us, which is really simply speaking in order to shine light. They expose truths that are subtly hidden beneath the surface, and sometimes they awaken us to the realities that are there in front of us that we simply could not see before. Light has a way of doing both of those things simultaneously. And this and here is for me is one of the most beautiful pieces of the Christian story. The moment when God becomes flesh and dwells among us in the person of Jesus. That story, that message, that good news shines a light on all of humanity in these two very distinct ways. The first is to reveal. It is that the coming of this Messiah brings to light things that may be hidden from our sight. That there is more to this world than meets the eye. That miracles do occur. That there are some realities that some theologians call thin places. These are the places where heaven and earth are so close together that it is difficult to distinguish between the two. And Jesus is one of those realities, which is why the early followers and believers wrestled with this thing called the incarnation. For in Jesus, heaven and earth are mysteriously two that has become one. The second is that the coming of the Messiah in Jesus awakens us to the realities of our own expectations, that we may not have been aware of before. See, the people of Israel were expecting power and overthrow, the yearning of God 
to be on our side. The hope that God would come and institute an immediate and imminent victory through force, through power. Yet the king of the universe, born as a baby, is an expose of these biases. Teaching us that these hopes and these fears are not what the Lord of the universe is ultimately about. A baby needs tending. A baby needs attention. A baby calls us and draws us to lay down our time, our schedule, our plans in order to care for the needs of another. A baby digs deep into the depths of our soul to find a love there that we may not have known existed before. A baby causes us to realize that we are capable of exemplifying that love in ways that are unbelievable even to ourselves. And this is the great light. This is the great hope. And this is the good news that has come into this world. Not that God is on our side. Not that God is coming to empower us to rise above all others, above all evils, above all tragedies. That God is going to be ultimately the fulfillment of our expectations. But rather, that God is coming to fill us with love. Powerful enough to sustain humanity through all of these evils and through all of these tragedies. This is the great light. Not that God is attending to our needs, but that we have an opportunity through the baby to attend to his. Our theme for this evening is a little bit on light. And we have decorated the room to reflect that. And we have some candles here in the front that we would like to offer to each and every one of you. And as I shared I think that light does these two things. They help us to see this world in different ways, and they help us to become aware more and more of our expectations, our hopes, our dreams, the things that we've been holding on to. And ultimately, in both of those areas, darkness, and especially the darkness that we've been talking about over this last season with all the news reports and the things that have been happening, the declaration and the, the great message of this time and this season is to say that the darkness will not win. And so we have these candles here. And in a little bit, as we share a devotion, um, I've got a video to play for you and we'll sing some songs in response. We're going to invite you to come and actually take a light and turn it on. And on each of, each of these lights is a verse from the Gospel of John that says this. It's the last portion of the verse. I'll read the, the whole thing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And here's the verse. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And our hope and our prayer for this evening and for this season and for Spark as a community is that as you come and shine these lights, turn them on yourself and hold them, and as we sing together, that we would fill this room with your light as you embrace this Christ, as you follow deeper 
as you understand more deeply and more profoundly what this season of light and season of love is, and that you would begin to make more and more space and more and more room in your heart for this light to shine. And as this light shines then in us and through us, this light will shine and the darkness will not overcome it. And as we go into whatever it is that we have planned for this, this weekend, this week and this season, that we remember the light shining, exposing the truth behind this world, demolishing our own expectations, but raising up within each and every one of us a light that will not be extinguished. No matter how dark this world may seem, this light will not ever go out.
be light.